The following is a paid program and does not necessarily reflect the opinions of the staff or management of visionary-related entertainment. Welcome to Mental Health Makeover with Dr. Mike. My name is Big C, and I'll be the host of the show. Today, we'll touch on the challenges within the substance abuse crisis, how to approach it especially during COVID-19, and how our mental health industry can evolve from there. You can find our podcast on your favorite platform, Please share and subscribe to our podcast. And if you'd like to send us a comment, please visit our website at gallerim.com. How you doing, Dr. Mike? Well, so I'm doing well, uh, keeping busy and, and trying to be focused on uh, things being optimistic and hopeful during these times and paying attention to how people are um, you know, kind of changing a lot of the things they're doing and many of which are really beautiful things to see which is not just a surprise, well, a wonderful surprise for me to see, but I think a lot of these folks are surprising themselves about how beautiful the human spirit actually can be. I've seen a lot of that. That's really cool. Um, I, you know, a lot of that kind of started in, in my head in Italy, and more recently it started to come over here. You know, Italy, they were singing um, to each other right. from, from all of their different rooms and whatnot, and now you're starting to see that happening in New York, and even now here on Maui you're seeing people kind of kind of evolving on the beach, not necessarily singing to each other, but, you know, we're not necessarily staying in the beach, but we're kind of staying in the ocean a little bit more, and there's more conversations on how we should approach that. It's really, it's, and, you know, just, and I'm learning this through my own life and and a lot with my patients that I'm doing with with Zoom, and things are happening that we've always wanted. They're doing things with themselves, their families, their partners that they've always kind of wanted to do, right. but we're afraid to because of their as we say, their homeostasis. I mean, just the way they usually do things, mm-hmm. which is usually about disengagement and fear of stress and conflict, so they kind of had become more isolated. I've always wanted to be connected like this. You know, I've seen that in my in my patients more uh, on with all the Zoom stuff. It's amazing. That must and be so cool to like see the, how people because normally in in, in Zoom uh, you you're able to see each other's faces and and for you to be able to also see possibly even your own face because you know it, it brings up your face as well as well prefer, no, no. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it, but it gives you that inflection and that ability to kind of like see how that person's reacting and also see your face and your reactions to their face and you know the thing i i, I emphasize maybe too much but there's a lot of people who may not know this like or may not quite get it but that's exactly how i was trained Really? I was trained as like a, a choreographer, hmm. as a therapist. It's a fascinating story, which I've told many times. I've mentioned in the radio a handful of times yeah. as well. Um, so it, it's, I love it because I was trained to be a facilitator of, of reorganizing the influences on patients, whatever they are, the multiple moving parts. And there can be so a, I was trained, a lot of those. And they used to call it family therapy, which is, which really, it, it's, it's a great word, but it's, it really was, I mean, the F, it wasn't just families. It was any significant adults or people in the life of the person that was the, the patient. For whatever the reason, the patient was a patient, whether they had a condition, an illness, a disorder, or stress, or whatever, uh, we always knew that prior to them getting into our offices, this was during my training umpteen years ago, that they were a gr- they were a member of a larger group of people, pe- whether they knew it, the village, you know, it could have been their parents, uh, it may have been aunties, uncles, grandparents, but it was often school school teachers were mm-hmm. social workers, therapists, so we would always have those people in the initial evaluation. We would always have those people in the initial evaluation. We would not, and this was during my child and adolescent psychiatry training. Okay. But I also, that was after my adult psychiatry training, which was more the traditional psychoanalytics, psychodynamic, cognitive behavioral therapy, and things like that, where the agent of change was uh, in the office with the person one-on-one, you know? So I was shocked to learn that I was going to be evaluating a 14-year-old or a 6-year-old or an 18-year-old, uh, I was expecting just to sit down with a 16-year-old and get information and maybe spend a little time with their parents. But they wouldn't really let me do that because, I mean, I did. But the evaluations included 
literally all these other people coming at the same time and we would have they would have been prepared beforehand uh, in terms of why it was important for us for them to join the evaluation now that was and and but it and it, um, but those circumstances that was actually occurring in a hospital so there was more leverage there was more at stake so we could get these people you know because uh, but um, so and then um, so the training was what can I do in there with all of these influences mm -hmm. to develop the number one most significant treatment intervention that I've ever seen and that's called a cohesive system of care where all those people no matter what it is uh, come up with something that they all agree to and they all stick to it and they all do their small part in it and don't really waver and if they waver they're accountable to the other people um, and um, and that dramatically dramatically influences or makes things that much easier for anybody to get better particularly the patient so the outcomes were often a win-win for everybody but here's the here's the biggest problem this does we'll bring this up later in the substance abuse and everything about mental health it sounds really nice and easy to do these things but there's one thing that always gets in the way and stress and conflict between these people they're not going to necessarily be happy. They may never have been happy together, but if somebody is suffering, they've tried lots of things and they probably don't agree with each other and they're probably upset about this, that, or the other thing. Maybe a marriage is not good. Maybe somebody's upset with a school teacher or there's a social worker saying, we're going to take your kids away, or something, or a grandmother or an auntie with all the best intentions who's angry at these people and those people. So there's reasons why it's hard to get these people to come up with a quote-unquote cohesive system of care. It's a very difficult thing. So I was actually trained with, literally, um, with one-way mirrors, as I mentioned before. And it was completely against anything that I ever thought was, was okay. I thought it was breaking all the rules. Uh, and it took my colleagues and I, my cohort, a good five months to say, what is that that these people have been doing? But we just kept watching it because we would be, there were classrooms behind one-way mirrors uh, and then there were phones in the room. They would call us up mid-sentence sometimes and they would be observing like from the Goodyear blimp over a football game, you know? Mm -hmm. and, um, uh, and, um, so, and everybody knew it. So it was... And I tell people that I was the most uncomfortable one initially with that. <laughs> I would be comfortable being in my own office all by myself because I had done that already. Right. But, oh, my God, everyone's looking at me. All the lights are shining on me here. And, um, and I'm not even the patient, you know. <laughs> so well, I mean, it was very, very powerful. So, um, so that's why this stuff with the Zoom, you know, that's, uh, that's a, a dream. There's more people that are... I'm at a meeting last week with uh, a school somewhere. I'm not going to, you know, on Maui. Uh, and I'd say, you know, it was an independent school. I think that's fair enough. And uh, it was beautiful. All the members of the staff were in their own homes. And, uh, it, and the parent, you know. And uh, it, was a, it was a great meeting to have for the student who wasn't even present because for whatever reasons it was we, and it was a very very important um and it changed a lot of things in this person's life because we were looking at these multiple influences and having helping them work for each other because we were trying to raise this child here and they were they were they were kind of confused in terms of who's supposed to do what what about this and what about that and because those roles are often not defined no. within a a human being's upbringing those those roles are often lost in the translation of of upbringing because there's such a intimate relationship that's there that it's hard for a lot of folks to even differentiate there's even times i mean going right into the whole substance abuse crisis right. where 
we don't recognize where the, the, the proper roles of each individual is. There's a lot of folks out there that, that are like, well, that's what they do. I can't do anything about that. There's no way to fix that. Well, here's how it, I, do, I do see it happen sometimes. Do tell. People that are very lucky. <laughs> you know, people that just grow up in a home, a context, a village, a community, where, you know, all this stuff just, because everybody wants to do this. Everybody, uh, all, the, all the people who influence anybody, children, adults, sub, you know, people in substance abuse treatment programs, you know, the providers, doctors, nurses, they all want to uh, uh, um, be clear with what their role is. And they all want their role to be incredibly valuable and incredibly uh, uh, influential. Well, that's because it's it's either the substance or the person. And, and what do you mean, the substance or the person? Well, like let's say let's say somebody is 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 in that substance abuse mindset, mm-hmm. right? They're they're already there. They've been uh, using for a long time. Whatever it might be, whether it's alcohol, whether it's right, drugs, right. whatever. Okay. Oh, by then these people are kind of, for lack of a better way to say, it, bananas in terms of they're all struggling, they're all kind of desperate, whether they realize it or not. It's like, hey, you know, what do we do here? Oh, it's a what form is our of desperation. role? Absolutely. But getting back to that, now here's the thing. But all these folks that are trained and educated, starting out with the, you know, regular old folks, you know, school teachers, mm-hmm. aunts, uncles, uh, siblings, older siblings, uh, neighbors. Um, uh, they these roles are part of the socialization and the human condition, and oftentimes just go really well whether people are aware of it or not. So these roles are clear, but they may not be articulated, and those people are lucky, <laughs> you know, that they grew up in a in a uh, in a group of people, a village where the roles were more than clear enough to people that everybody was really a win-win for the for the neighborhood the community the village the church you know so a lot of people do get that but because of the breakdown and all these things the village the family the community the social isolation the collapse of parenting you know et cetera, et cetera, and all the pressures on the poor school teachers or the wonderful school teachers i don't know so these things have been going on forever so the goal and we would call this prevention you know i would much prefer to utilize these techniques and interventions with I mean I wish someone would have done it with me and my wife when we were but we cheated because we had this background mm-hmm. I would I would I don't know I would want to have this for everybody you know it's just how do you make the whole greater than the sum of the parts uh, with your loved ones because the most of the forces out there are, we're going to be against it, whether we realize it or not. I think actively learning is a really important part of it. You know, always seeking out new knowledge and being able to find uh, a place to be able to build better understanding, like talking to a doctor from time but to time. But we know, I mean, the thing is we don't have to recreate the wheel here. Right. Uh, uh, we know, uh, many people know that these things I'm saying, we don't. we already know it. It's not like getting more knowledge. It's just doing it and paying attention to it. It's just recognizing, you know, we ought to do this stuff. You know, there was a, a study I heard about where, uh, you know, the divorce rate in our country is ridiculous, 50 to 60 percent. Um, the idea that two people will get together and say, sure, okay, uh, we love each other, you know? You come from here, I come from there. Oh, we're just going to, you know. But there it was, it was, is quite an interesting it's, thing, it's, yeah. It's, it's, really, it's wonderful, but it's also very sad that yeah. we just think, you know, my job as a child psychiatrist is, is uh, is incredibly gratifying and difficult and all these things and scary but a mom and a dad that's even better that's even more gratifying and more scary absolutely and more at stake and it's more wonderful and more scary zero recognition of that and i've been i've been to school for umpteen million years and i got degrees and certifications malpractice insurance you know this what's wrong with that picture mm-hmm. you know so it's just a cultural thing and it also unfortunately would probably have to do with how things are marketed and how people do or don't make money because this is something these principles uh and some of the you know uh there's some good programs that are out there but you know parenting classes and and coaching and uh you know uh anger management and things like that but a lot of them don't have the opportunity to know the power of conflict and stress and and how to how to uh, build that in 
the rules of engagement with how people can still be valuable and deal with stress and conflict. You know, a lot of those, you know, parent, they're, they're wonderful, for example, anger management, some domestic violence things. A lot of things are really wonderful, but they tend to be a bit more didactic teaching. This is what you could do. This is what you could do. Think about this. Think about that, which is really good. But oftentimes that stuff breaks down when we're, when we're like our stress level is high. Right. So it we, gets thrown we, out the window for sure. So, so um, <laughs> and how is it not stressful being an adult? Period. Yet alone, so uh, be nice to build. So, so that's the advantage I think that uh, that myself, my wife have had have, over the years because we don't want to do this with everybody, but we know this stuff works uh, really well because we've seen it happen with very under very stressful situations. So we don't want to create stress, but we would like people to know that um, that um, this is an important part of our our our, our development. Oh, then the study was yes. Yeah, so they. They took a group of people that were planning to get married in six months, and and half the group um, they just business as usual, and the other half had weekly guided guided as a term counseling. I don't know what the specifics of it were, but weekly guided counseling, and the and the divorce rate in the second group was like I think ten or fifteen percent uh, compared to like fifty sixty percent. And that why would anyone be surprised? <laughs> Because it, because it's not before they something got that's, that's not something that's a, a necessarily a bad thing when you have a third party to be able to give a an additional perspective from each individual's. It's only in modern times you really don't have that. <laughs> it's really only in modern times and you really, know, I think I don't know. Well, maybe maybe I'm thinking, not maybe nearly, I'm thinking I mean, too idealistic. Maybe not as much. Because you know, I'm from the six seventies and sixties and. And, you know, John Lennon said, all you need is love. Well, it sounds wonderful, but unfortunately, you need love, and you need a manual, and you need a village. Yeah, and and the support to be able to make it happen. If if you've ever been, you know, I was married uh, in in a Christian style, Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that they said, the the, uh, kumu, he said to everyone, everyone here is now a part of this union. And is now required to put effort into this unions because they can't do it alone. And I thought that that was such a provocative thing to say in front of that many human beings and saying, this is, this is now your responsibility. Yeah. Take ownership of it. Yeah, my wife and I make fun of ourselves. We thought we knew everything when we first got together. It's like because we were. It was like in the in the late seventies, early eighties. It's like we thought we don't need any help with this. I'm like, goodness me. Uh, <laughs> and I I, we I can we knew everything. We knew, we knew everything. <laughs> you know, and that's the thing. If you're uh, if you're out there and you're you're going through those kinds of stresses, especially when it comes to substance abuse, and it it, it does link into your relationships. Um, you, let's, let's you, talk don't you that. folks? Don't you folks actually uh, do that? Like do uh, family family therapies and whatnot. You know, I tend not to. We we work not with the, people. Not that word, but you work. No, with we work families. with people, and we yeah. use these things that were developed in the family therapy um, uh, model. Mo- uh, yeah. What did I say before the family therapy uh, movement? Yeah. You know, and there's a really, really wonderful one of my favorite textbooks. It's called Family Therapy Techniques, uh, which uh, again, uh, it just limits it too much because these are the things that we were doing with everybody. But anyway, uh, so and it, and and they're beautiful. It's all about um, the the therapist and how the right. therapist uses themselves to facilitate changes with people. So we, so so we work with families. We work with anybody we can, and for practical reasons, oftentimes we can't. We can just work with one or two people, or one person for practical reasons. Now, should the world change in some way, shape, or form during this transformation opportunity we have with the crisis and what's happening in our culture and all these things that are just going to be changing? Maybe one day the third people will realize, you know, I think if we pay somebody to maybe not go to work for a couple of hours today so they can do this and, and, and be involved with another family member or their children, you know, so they can go like uh, uh, two or three days a week for a while. And, I, and I'd love, one of these days we'll talk about anorexia nervosa because that's wickedly powerful when you do this, really powerful uh, and saves tons of money. So maybe they'll say, you know, maybe we're going to pay for that and make that be 
an important primary thing that you look at when you go to a mental health practitioner's office rather, well, in addition to, you know, what's a diagnosis or what medicines or this, like, and the other thing, if we emphasize the importance of, of why it is other people will be there, which would mean that, you know, a, a lot of folks would have to be recognized, hey, this is important. I either got to, I either know how to do it and need to do it more, the mental health folks, or, you know, they, you, you know, they should be asking people to help them do it. And it's not just mental health folks, primary care physicians, school teachers. It's just a way that you can engage and know that it's important, but particularly in, uh, I would say, in uh, what we do in mental health, right? So we, so sometimes I'll meet just with one person, but it's as if the other people are here. And if you'd like to learn more about that, you can visit them at www.gallerim.com. In just a little bit, we're going to be getting into how we're going to approach all of Exactly what we just talked about, especially during COVID-19, because I'm pretty sure that it's uh, gotten pretty escalated. We'll be right back with Mental Health Makeover with Dr. Mike. Let me know how much time we have. Welcome back to Mental Health Makeover with Dr. Mike. In the last segment, we talked a, in the last segment, we talked a little bit about substance abuse and our current crisis. And we also talked about how, how to be able to approach it. But... COVID-19 has changed things quite drastically for us. And substance abuse being such a huge, big thing, I want to know a little bit more about this. I want to get a little bit deeper. Dr. Mike, can you, can you please enlighten me? Well, I'll do the best I can. You know, substance abuse, uh, addiction, dependence has been around since the beginning of time and <laughs> before COVID. And, and uh, there's been a tremendous amount of efforts in the huge industry with tremendous amount of passion uh, for years. Um, and I want to like to speak with that about that in general. However, with what's going on with COVID, um, of course, it's going to challenge all of these things. And uh, we really don't know uh, what is going to be the best way to do these things uh, currently. Uh, but I, I'm aware of some things that are happening, which are pretty cool. But I'm not aware enough. I don't. I don't have enough information or data or feedback because I'm just. I'm too busy. But I'd be fascinated to know. But I. And I, there are some things that I'm aware of that are really cool. However, so what the most exciting thing is, I think that we're learning, and we were just talking about this earlier, is the world is changing drastically, you know? and we don't even really know what is changing too. No. You know, and um, it's unprecedented. And while it could be a lot of scary stuff, but a lot of people are paying attention to a, like a really a lot of nice things. Um, like you were saying, the time that you have with your family, it's like, wow, this is cool. It, it changes a, a bit of a, a, a dramatic way. You know, mm -hmm. I, I know that I have a couple of uh, really positive effects from this. Yeah. And we and um, uh, so and and a lot of people are talking about they're talking about new models for things that we take for granted. I mean, no one's. The, the air, the earth is cleaner. Yeah. You know, people aren't driving places. Things are growing. And things are growing, and all these animals and all this stuff and plants and trees are coming back to all the parks and everything. And, um, uh, uh, that's and, a really oh, great thing. And people are home with their families and some, talking about education systems being different, whatever that would look like now, because education, you know, has been in crisis for 20, 30 years or longer. Uh, and it's like, wow, well, now we have to do something. What is it we're going to do? So people are, are really having an opportunity to be creative. You know, even if, thing, even if the COVID thing goes away 100%, it's like, wow, maybe we could do things differently. Now, and, and you just On the other spectrum, though, one of the hardest things that's going on because of COVID is this substance abuse. Right. And it's, it's, it's taken a turn for the worse for some folks. I would imagine. But I, again, I, I haven't been able to be that close. I mean, I have a bunch of patients that are struggling with it, and some are doing better, mm -hmm. uh, and, and some are struggling uh, because there's some really cool things that are happening, uh, like with online things. But I think it is a good thing to step back for a second and look at how the, what opportunities there may be to... to, to transform lots of things but let's look specifically at substance abuse and yeah. alcohol right because it's a big deal and um you know uh, i'm not an expert 
you know, in that, but I've been, it's been around me throughout my whole career, and I've treated a lot of folks with it um, uh, in various ways, and, um, and again, employing, utilizing some of these things I've been talk, talking about earlier, you know, the whole being greater than some of the part, parts, and how do you get a group of people together to work together, et cetera, et cetera. So, but most people, I think maybe just want to summarize, I mean, you know, drug and alcohol issues go back forever, and the treatment, his, the history of us, how that's been approached is a lengthy discussion all by itself, and it's fascinating where, we, where we've gotten to. Uh, and we've, where we've gotten to, a lot of people uh, say, well, you know, there's been a lot of pressures we, could, we didn't really need to have that has condensed or, or, or limited or constrained how we approach this. But let me, I'll get to that in a second. So let me just, here's a, a, a this thing I just got recently from uh, online, and this is like some basic fundamental principles of effective treatment um, and uh, from the National Institute of uh, Health. And uh, I'll read some of them and then I'll comment about how some of these things could happen even more or why they might not be happening. And of course, so uh, it says, you know, based on scientific research since the mid-70s, mm -hmm. the following key principles uh, should form the basis of any effective treatment program. And this is updated, I mean, or, you know, I mean, this is a recent, recent article. Now, how much research is going on now, I'm sure there's a lot. Um, I, I am aware of the fact that research came out about a month ago that says AA is more effective than anything else. And the reason why we didn't know that before is because people didn't spend time to study it while they were studying these other things. And I can, you know, that may shock some people, but because AA, AA it's, a, it's a whole thing, but it's it's very, very powerful when it works properly. Anyway, That's empowering for a lot of folks, especially those, you know, going through those steps. I'm going to get to that, hopefully, but let me just run through a list here, okay? And and because there's a lot of myths, there's all, too many myths uh, out there about what it is and what it isn't, which is one thing, but then what to do about it, the extent to which they're based and rely on some of these myths, it really can change a lot and will help save a lot of lives and a lot of money. If the myths are one thing, but if basing a treatment model paradigm program on some of these myths or, or some of these ideas that can't translate into concrete, specific, customized, personal treatments, you know, um, we need to be aware of what some of those uh, myths are and what some of the information that we're using to help us plan our programming. I hope I said that clear enough. Okay, so real quick. So addiction is a complex, complex, but treatable disease that affects brain function and behavior. So it's just kind of an impossible thing for me or people who have worked like this to, to say it can't be treated. You know? It doesn't mean that everyone will be treated and that we won't fail, And but I've not come across... Anyway, so... All right, uh, and the next thing, no single treatment is right for everyone. Now, most people in our, in our industry are aware of these things, but the treatment programs have, are constrained perhaps in some, and the treatment models, okay, make it difficult because there's, uh, for, for models and programs to really take these things the way they ought to, okay. So, you know, these are difficult things to come up with. No single treatment is right for everyone. Ideally, wouldn't that be great if we could all put together and create uh, a very specific, unique treatment plan for each individual? We, we actually could, but other things would need to be emphasized uh, in the programming. And I'm gonna I'm gonna, hopefully we'll get to that. Then it says here, effective treatment addresses all of the needs all of the patient's needs, not just his or her drug use. Okay, now, um, so we're, we're looking at all of the patient's needs, whatever that is and how that's defined is, is, a, is a big deal and it can be done, but it's not as easy as it seems. And it says staying in treatment long enough is critical. Okay, and it says things like counseling and other behavioral therapies are the most commonly used forms of treatment, medications are often an important part of treatment. 
especially when combined with some of these other behavioral therapies. But I think with medications, any medications, you have to have reinforcement of therapy behind that. You can't just take a med Maybe. and expect overnight that everything's going to be better. Cause you just never, I mean, chances are you're right, but you know, we never know when we look at one part of the system or one multiple moving part that sometimes we're lucky and sometimes the medicine does a lot. No, <laughs> but truly. oftentimes it, we, over, we definitely over rely on them and it oftentimes minimizes the opportunities to look at some other parts. So I agree with you in general. But we don't really make any general broad conclusions until we see it happen. But we just certainly want people to know that if you're going to use medicines, can be very helpful or not be very helpful. But usually by themselves, they're, they're not. But they can, they can make a big difference, some of them. But with, with, with mental health, I'm sorry, in substance abuse and addiction abuse, there's studies forever about what medicines may or may not be helpful. And very few of them uh, really come around and say, yeah, this is you know, really reliable and guaranteed. There are some good ones out there, but they're not, uh, like, uh, they're not like as crystal clear as we'd like. But um, so real quick, okay. Um, oh, and it says here another one. So treatment plans must be reviewed often and modified to fit patients' changing needs. Uh, it says, of course, treatment should address other mental health disorders. Uh, and medically assisted detoxification is only the first stage of treatment. Uh, oh, and here's here's a good one actually. Treatment does not doesn't need to be voluntary to be effective. I want to say that one again. Treatment doesn't, treatment doesn't, need, doesn't to need to be voluntary. voluntary to be, I'm very impressed that that's on this list here, because one of the big myths, and I'm going to speak to that. Um, and and again, is you know is that somehow people are people are use and state this and also program around this um, that. They say things like the addict has to be ready to change or has to want to change. Uh -huh. And there's a whole scale of, 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 of uh, a rating scale in terms of if where somebody is, I'm forgetting the terms off the top of my head, where they are, pre-contemplated stage or contemplated ready stage and all these kinds of things. I've actually watched that. But it's all about the person. Now, so that's another, so I want to get to, all right, so... Um, and uh, so anyway, so that's, that's kind of like the standard kind of guidelines that are behind treatments. Now, whether they actually are built into treatment programs that directly and accountably and consistently, there's a lot of challenges that get in the way of that happen happening because they're difficult things. Well, it's, it's very human challenges, that's why. Right. You know. So um, a couple of things. So. Uh, where do we start here? So, oh, okay. So, there's two. There's two. The biggest point is, I would say, and I don't want to forget. Please don't forget to get back to the part about how it is that people can change who appear to not want to change. You that's got it. Really important. Okay. Um, but I would want to say that uh, everyone talks about you know um, working with this person or that person or the family or the spouse or uh, or members of the community as being part of a plan. And there's a wonderful book written by a woman named Deborah Bay, I believe, from the Betty Ford Clinic, which is called It Takes a Family. And I rushed out and got the book because it was really exciting. In the beginning, it says about how real treatment starts when the person leaves Betty Ford Clinic, right? And, and, and that treatment involves, according, you know, she did use the F for family, involves family and other members and ideally, those family and other members are a part of the treatment from before they even get into the Betty Ford Clinic. But at least when they get in there, they're part of the treatment as contributors to influence to change, having roles that will influence folks. So that, and they, and they have she has some really nice guidelines in there about what these people could be doing while the person is at Betty Ford, who they'd be doing it with. They'd be talking with this team there and. And then when the person was coming home, the family or these people would already have uh, a plan they'd adhere to. However, and now every single treatment program, I think, always talks about having a family component. Mm -hmm. And it's usually like a weekend or a week of, now they may even do therapy. But now here's the reason why these things are hard to do. And, uh, and because there is a tremendous amount of pain and conflict 
between these people already. You know, before they even got there, before the person with the drug addiction got there, these relationships will have been incredibly stressed. People have been frustrated, burnt out, and of course you hear the thing, burnt their bridges, you know? So it's not as easy as saying, usually what happens, they'll say, hey, you know, can we get your family involved, these people involved? And they say, no, they're not interested. <laughs> or um, I don't want them involved because they all hate me and they're all, I'm embarrassed, you know? So it's, it's, it's much more difficult to access these folks than it would seem to be, well, just have family week or just let's get together for family therapy or family therapy is something separate. You know, so that the, um, uh, so programs, any program, any intervention needs to know, you know, these people, they look burnt out, they, they are burnt out, they're not going to do anything because they don't believe anything's going to work. And they all say they've tried everything. And, and a lot of people have been told by certain groups, you know, you got to back off. Let them hit rock bottom by themselves until they're ready. So um, Watch people fail? Yeah, my grandmother would come out of her grave if someone says, you know, God forbid me or someone in my family had a drug addiction. She said, you know, um, you got to let them hit rock bottom. She says, my Mikey? <laughs> she would jump out of her uh, grave. Now, I, you know, rock bottom, you know, and she'd be sitting by the phone, <laughs> even in her grave, if she knew I was out there, right? And I know that. And uh, so um, she's, <laughs> right? So, um, so that's a tough one. And it doesn't mean, so the idea is that we as people and practitioners, we just need to know that anybody who's ever loved or a part of anybody really loves them and cares about them and can have a huge influence and they're much more valuable than they have falsely been led to believe. Now, is that, is that something that's within that individual that's looking for the change or does that person have to want the change for those individuals that are from the outside? Which people are we talking about? I'm talking about the user. Oh, well here, let me just, let me get to that. Okay. Yeah. Everybody wants to change, even the user. Okay, that's the big important point. How, do, how can I say that with such confidence? Because anytime I've ever seen anybody change and get better uh, who swore they didn't want to or had convinced everybody they don't want to get better or they're not for, ready for change and even said that, I've anyone who, when they do get better, they're always glad they did. So they all Absolutely. want, but they just have lost hope in this idea of what even change is when they're, in their, when they're really addicted and they're having problems. And fortunately, that, and that's consistent with the results-based medicine we talked about before, where we're treating the future. And I'm not, you know, I would hope all the practitioners... We're and treating family, the future, not the past. I love that. I'm well, sorry. Well, we've got to account for I, I love we got, that. We have though. to account for the past. We can't ignore it. And right, but you're treating truth. for the future, and then not there, for that. So that yeah. brings up another point. A lot of programs... Whatever's going to work is going to work. But a lot of programs will say, well, we got to get to the core issue. we got to get to the core issue. Well, maybe not. What is the core issue? we got to get people sober. And, um, and sometimes if people work on their, on their past and their core issue or their trauma, they're going to want to drink more. <laughs> so whatever it's going to work, it's stability, 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 stability. What am I doing today, today, tomorrow? Which is why AA is so effective. I've never seen anything come closer to the power of someone going to AA meetings three times a day, period. They do that, they get better. Um, and, uh, but not many people do that. Whether they like, anyway, so, 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 um, so you were saying about, um, so the change, yeah, so I don't, you know, I just know, we just know, I've seen this. I was trained and I see it all the time that whether I, people say they want to change or ready for change, or not, we just know that when they do change, they're all happy. Change is inevitable. It's one of well, those not, things that not, we... Not, not good change. But you know, a lot of these folks will change and they'll be on the streets forever and, yeah. and, and it'll be awful. You know, I, I had a friend who, uh, who I used to work next mm -hmm. to, so to speak. And <clears throat> because he was, he was living homeless, but he didn't have a bad situation mm -hmm. if he chose to make those changes. Choosing is also overrated. You know, the extent to which we rely on one person to make a choice mm -hmm. disempowers and devalues other important people. They can make choices too. So um, a lot of, so I don't necessarily rely, that's a big issue for, 
the collapse of parenting and the adolescence is this pressure and this power on they have their own choice. Well, of course they do. I have my own choice, but that's not the issue here. If I'm making bad choices, I hope people around me will make better ones that'll convince me to make better choices. I love that as well. I mean, it's yeah. really, um, so uh, it really is shocking how our culture has marketed itself, whatever you want to call it, toward this idea that our rights as individuals are much more important than our rights to be engaged with others. So it tribe mentality. Like if my you know, my son, you know, he make he can make a choice, but if his father, me, me and his mother think that's a bad choice, we're gonna make choices. My wife and I will make our own choices, right? That we hope and we'll get our village to help us, which we do. That will hopefully we'll make choices. And those end of those choices will be a message our kids will get, and they'll hopefully change their mind. Or if they don't change their mind, we'll engage in dialogue that's developmentally appropriate. And when we're done, you know, we'll all be glad and we'll all have grown at, at, at the phase of life we're all in. Always building. Yeah. So that's an important point. Now, these can be built into programming. I spend sometimes weeks creating a team like this. And a lot of times I just, I can't because it's just too hard and too practical and there's not that much support for it. You know, we can just go to this program and any other programs may work too. Whatever's gonna work, but um, when, I, when we do have access and we can create a team and, and remind, you know, and, and it's, there's ways you can create a team with people who believe they're unimportant and believe that they've been discredited and devalued and believe that the people don't care about them and believe that there are ways it can be done and it's one of the most beautiful things ever but it can sometimes it's, it just takes too much time and it's hard sounds like it's a long road well i would just hope that people it, it's a long you know would just say you know we need to spend more time with this part of the treatment we need to look closer at what village can we actually create what is What's out? What do the people think the village is now? And you're not going to hear good stuff. <laughs> oh, this burnt this bridge, that bridge. He's a loser. Right, but there's only one way to choices. be able to build a bridge is even if a, a build has been a bridge has been burnt. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that you can't build Ex a new bridge. Even a teen <laughs> exactly. Teeny, there's bridges. Teeny weeny everywhere. Weeny little steps. Yeah. I, love to, I love to tell a story. I got lots of stories. I love it. It's not about substance abuse, but this one mom had been so estranged from all this stuff about her kids and divorce and, and like almost kidnapping and stuff. And it was the isolation was overwhelming. And the mom was brilliant, wonderful, talented woman who was looked at as being very bad from all these people in the mainland where her kids were. And she was no contact. And all these people up there were convinced that she was like, Osama bin Laden or something or some, the right. devil they're all convinced about it and they wouldn't let her do anything so uh, and every time she'd call her kids or try to call her kids I you know it was brutal you know they would they were so and no one was going to let her in you know so I think what we came up with because the kids used to live here is the mom because the, the, the girls wouldn't respond to text nothing so she sent them a picture of their dog period just texted a photo of their dog and at the beach and told her how nice it was and and then that changed everything just that i mean that started <laughs> that started to recreate a, a bridge because it was indirect it was, it was indirect and it was real and it was like and it was something, something that 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 was going to be successful it didn't have to do with that individual heavy. person it, it had to do with what that other person receiving it it didn't have to do with the, core, with the main yeah. issue the core issue the conflict decisions, this is something that choices. we both love yeah it's like here it is yeah oh and by the way i happen to be your mom yeah oh and you happen to be my girl there's a real connection okay. there and True. and and when you get a when you get a photo of your dog from your mom you know what are you supposed to say besides you're gonna find something wrong with that <laughs> you could but you know you're not gonna and then and then if if she did not responded to it We'd At least she still got a her, picture. No, we'd have her send another one with no comments, no questions about anything. No, why didn't you respond? Did you like the picture? No, whatever. A picture says a thousand words. No, it's just a, it's just a connection starting anywhere you can. And it's really, really incredibly gratifying 
when you see these folks who have these distortions and they've been led to believe that they're no good, they're useless, they're, 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 drug, they're, they're, they're bad people, they're bad, you know, a teeny little connection sometimes, you, they're there, you can see them sometimes and, and amongst the other people in their lives also sometimes. I may be over-idealizing it, but I, no, I shouldn't because it's just too gratifying and too powerful when, you, when, it, when it works. You can you can idealize it because of the fact that the only thing moving forward, especially if you're going through substance abuse, is to have ideals towards it. Well, of course, thank you. But you know, the other thing is, and something's going to be changing because of this this what's happened with COVID and and the changes in our in our you know uh, how we're going to have to interact with anything and everybody. So hopefully this will happen also with the mental health systems and substance abuse system that will take these things more for granted. Uh, we won't take, we'll, we'll take them more seriously, uh, like playing outside. <laughs> take more, we'll take oh my things, goodness. We'll take these things more seriously like, yeah, these people really are important. I mean, and we as a, as a profession need to really pay attention to how we can reclaim that a little bit. I think that that's one of the ways that we can really approach forthcoming mm -hmm. I hope so the mental health crisis is seeing how valuable it has been for these past 41 days 42 days well, roughly yeah. on in quarantine keeping track of yeah it. something like that I don't know <laughs> but to see the effects on not only our our behaviors mm -hmm. as adults um, our teenagers right. our kupuna you know all these different people and to see the shift paradigm of how everyone starts to behave uh, so yeah and again another just it's it's wonderful and just as another example of what i'm talking about the current and i've worked at the betty ford clinic and and un, it's just too hard my experiences they pay attention to the, it's just too hard um to and many other substance abuse programs what oftentimes will happen they'll call me up and say dr rim we have somebody here it may have been one of my patients, but usually it isn't because I try not to send them. But maybe we have this patient here. They've been in our program for two months. They're ready to go back to they're ready to go back to, to Maui. And I say to myself, you know, well, how do, how do they know they're ready to go back to Maui? What do they know about Maui? Well, we've only learned that our patient has told us this. Our patient has told us that. And we we met her. We had her husband come for a weekend and whatever. And so. She's going to go back to Maui, or he's going to go back to Maui. They got it set up for a psychiatrist, a therapist, and they're going to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. And I said, "Well, but um, but you know, that's a bit more complicated, you know." So in other words, so um, in other words, they're telling me they're ready to be discharged from their program, uh, and I, <laughs> rather than how do they really know Maui's ready? And I said, I'm, and I jokingly say to myself, you know, this is flattering that they think I'm a psychiatrist. I can see somebody once a week or every two weeks and do something effective where they've had the person 24 seven. Right. <laughs> so it's just, and I'm not saying that to be, uh, uh, disrespectful to anybody, but just the pressures on our culture. That's a change in environment. It's a, it's a, it's a pressures on our culture and the difficulties that it really is. Um, because the reality is, they're treating somebody not to be successful at the Betty Ford Clinic. That's only the first thing. They're, or these agencies up there, they're treating them. They're 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 help. They got to help me more than because I got to be able to do something when the person comes back, you know. And I have to have confidence that I can do it. So I always, if I ever look for programs for people, I I, I always try to say, look, can I please be involved from day one? And can we have a team here on Maui? I'll work with the people here on Maui while you're doing your thing up there in California or whatever. But can we be involved uh, from before they get there on day one? And that rarely, rarely happens. It's for a lot of re It doesn't really happen. It's not practical. People don't pay for it and all that kind of stuff. But that's the ideal thing. Well, if somebody did want to uh, get a little bit more involved and they wanted to approach substance abuse, how would they get in touch with you? Oh, just our website, you know, or call uh, gallerim.com, uh, office at gmail.com, uh, and uh, you can just Google Google my name, Michael Rim, and see what comes up. <laughs> Hopefully it all. Absolutely. And, um, 
uh, I, you know, um, yeah, that's uh, or or consult. I mean, I I I would I, people who have substance abuse problems and they go to the mainland. I just had to do this recently. Mm -hmm. Say, look, it's just too much. I I'm not able to do it. It's just too much. I don't have time in my schedule. Sometimes I'll have I can do these. I can run these little programs. Two, three, I can meet right. people two three times a week. Two three, you know, have a team created here. But usually that's ideal, and I don't have time to do it. I said, look, while they're going to a program somewhere, I'm happy. Why don't we all meet here? while they're there and we can create our maui team which is a mess now because they were all dilapidated and all <laughs> frustrated and burnt out so why don't we we can work on what can happen here on maui to be prepared for her being him or her being there wherever the program is and we'll work with the program so that they can send them back to us <laughs> and you guys so will be ready now that i love to do uh, there's many people that you know people that have helped we've helped with this model that never come to my office young adults uh who just don't want to come it and, happens well you know and uh, to the best of us anyway so thank i hope i hope that's uh inspiring some absolutely folks. and you know if you do want to get in touch with with dr michael rim you are welcome to leave a comment on on his website at gallerim.com and our, we have our podcast now, thanks to Mr. Big C. He put that out there, so please have a listen. And I all, and thank you, because we have been getting some responses from listeners. And Beautiful. That led to the conversation about the substance abuse. Thank you. And um, uh, and there's a lot of things that we I'd love to, to, to share our thoughts of. And my wife's a developmental behavioral pediatrician. We deal with autism, like, all the time. We're happy we can talk about it. Lots of things, autism, parenting, behavioral issues, how to put children in time out. And, and uh, we want to, you know, and uh, other things, trauma. What about this thing, trauma? What about post-traumatic stress disorder? What about things like that? You know, I'm not an expert in these things, but we, we, we were an expert in helping people uh, get from through these things, I should say. Depression, stress, all those things, you know? And... Uh, uh, and how to create a cohesive system of care, how to how to how to how to simplify, and all be um, uh, not just on the same page intellectually, but literally working it. Um, yeah. So whatever, I'd love to hear what people might want to hear me talk. How do? You, what about medicines, diagnoses, and ADHD and you know, I've been doing this for a long time, and and uh, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, so we'd love to hear from folks who, um, yeah. Thank you, Doctor Mike. Really appreciate. Thank you, Big C. It's a pleasure. We'll see you, thank, uh, yeah, you. in two you. weeks. And thanks for everybody. Right on. Yeah. Okay. Aloha. <laughs>